Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Yeah, good afternoon, uh, Matthew. And uh, thanks for having me back. And a big welcome to your listeners as well, too. So uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Eric Roth. I'm CEO of Capella Minerals. We are a Canadian exploration development company. We currently have a, a portfolio uh, we actually have a, a, a big mixture of gold and copper projects, uh, two of which are joint venture gold projects in Canada. Uh, but more recently, since we last chatted, Matthew, the focus has really grown on what is our Scandinavian portfolio. So we have uh, uh, two high-grade copper assets in Norway. We have one gold asset in Sweden, and we have two, we've just acquired very recently two gold and copper projects in Finland. And so, um, so since we had the opportunity to last chat, uh, Matthew, we've really focused, we've really gone into that Scandinavian focus, and we really do have a fantastic portfolio of projects for, for a company of our size. Lovely to see you, Eric. We saw you back in uh, May. Um, I saw the headline ar- around the acquisition, uh, and I do, I do wanted to talk to you about that. I think you mentioned something there. For a co- it's good for a company of your size, right? So I'd say you guys have moved sideways for the past few months. Um, you know, not much has changed. Fifteen million market cap company. I guess running low on cash here. So you're off doing acquisitions. So how did this acquisition happen? Was there, was there money involved? Yeah, so the deal, Matthew, was actually quite a cheap deal. Uh, there's actually very little cash involved. It's more just uh, money in the ground. And to be honest, it's actually a very, very soft deal from our perspective. Um, and actually, the company we did the deal with, uh, Matthew, is, uh, is a, an Australian company or ASX-listed company called Cullen Resources. Uh, their chairman, just for people who have followed us long enough, uh, is actually or was the chairman of Mariana Resources, which, of course, was the, the company we uh, had before this. Um, so really, this was a win-win for both sides. It was a cheap deal for us to get into some hot real estate. Of course, in that part of the world, which is the central Lapland Greenstone Belt, it's actually very difficult to pick up any ground. And I'm sure you've had the chance to speak to people like Rupert Resources and Oregon. There's a lot of people there doing a lot of good things in that belt. So, um, you know, so for us, it was a really cheap entry point uh, into some, some very, very prospective terrain. And of course, you know, there's a lot going around uh, on around us. And in fact, there's some very, you know, expensive JVs right next door to us. And, and, and so this is a, just an area that we, we felt very strongly would make a very nice addition to our copper and gold assets in Norway and Sweden. Okay, so if, I want to talk about um, your track record, actually, because it's, it's highly relevant, I, I think. Um, and I would say to people, we've, we've thrown a couple of times, we'll put links below to those conversations. Go and look at those if, if this conversation interests you for backgrounds on the, the management team, business plan strategy, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we'll, we'll point people there. Your project seems to have a lot of moving parts. If I'm coming at this new, it feels like there's a lot of moving parts. You've got stuff going on in the US, which are farmed out, admittedly. Don't require, do they require any of your time, money, and effort? Yeah, so uh, so they're the two projects in Canada, uh, Matthew. So so one is in uh, in uh, Ontario, which is the Savant Lake Joint Venture. So Ethos Gold is is the joint venture operator. They are spending the money, so we are free carried on that. So we do not need to either put money in or look after the day to day management. And the second project is the domain joint venture in Manitoba, where we have Yamana, which of course is one of the the mid tier gold producers as the project operator. We have just a whisker under thirty percent of that, so it's also in the permitting process at the moment. So, so our contribution to domain is only thirty percent. So that's our current interest in the project. Okay, so th- those those you've got equities there of a circuit, depending on what day of the week it is, about two and a half million bucks. Okay, so that's yeah. we'll park that outlier. 
What's this focus on Scandinavia that you seem to be um, building up here? Because again, you you still got four projects going on there uh, with this acquisition. So why the fascination with that part of the world? Yeah, look, it's a good question, Matthew, and and I'll break it down country by country, I think, uh, because if you look at Finland, as we just talked about, um, you know, look, Finland is one of the most popular mining jurisdictions around the world. Uh, It's always sort of in that top 10, the Fraser Institute. Uh, As we talked about, you've got a lot of good things happening on, uh, you know, within that belt where we're sitting. And of course, uh, the other thing, too, is Agnigo Eagle uh, has the Kitila mine there, which is the biggest uh, gold mine in Europe, and that produces about 200,000 ounces of gold a year. So, um, and, and the ground that we have picked up actually surrounds an old Udukumpu copper mine, which is called Santa Poro. So it's just one of these belts where, I mean, there's just so much going on in terms of gold and base metal potential. And, uh, and you know, a lot of work has been done over the years. And now really, it's a, it's a good opportunity to pull that all together and uh, really, you know, push the project uh, forward. But uh, a really, you know, fantastic piece of crust. Um, if I look at the, the Norwegian projects, and, and when we talked uh, back in May, uh, Matthew, we did talk about the, the Norwegian copper projects. Um, we'd acquired these late last year from EMX Royalty. And, and, and for us, they were fantastic opportunities. We have two high-grade massive sulfide projects, one of which is called Locken, the other one which is called Choli. And, uh, you know, these are just fascinating opportunities for us in the sense of these are old mining districts. So so we view these as both brownfields and greenfields exploration plays. And, and by that, I mean brownfields um, where you're looking at extensions to the old mines, uh, basically looking for those parts of the, the old mines that they didn't exploit. And the second thing, of course, is um, these massive sulfide, these high-grade massive sulfide deposits always occur in clusters. And what you see around the old mines is, you know, different clusters of this high-grade copper mineralization at various stages of of development. So what we're really focusing on is looking at all of those other, you know, clusters, if you like, of these massive sulfide, these high-grade copper deposits uh, sitting around the the main deposit, if you like. And and, and that happens in both of these projects, both in Locken and also at Sholey. So so that's the attractiveness for us. The other thing to, to really flag with Norway is that, is that keep in mind that these mines, after hundreds of years of production, shut down in the mid-1980s for two reasons. Um, one is that copper prices tanked in the mid-80s. So, you know, copper prices got to 60 cents a pound. And of course, now they're, you know, north of $4. Um, but the other thing in Norway too, you know, there was a particular, uh, a peculiar local situation where, of course, they discovered lots of oil. So they just walked away from the mining project. So these things have actually been just dormant for the last 40 years. And, and, and you don't see that anywhere on the planet. I mean, you know, there's kind of a saying in our business, the best place to find a new mine is in the shadow of a head frame, right? And that's exactly what we have on the two Norwegian projects. So um, so we see lots of good potential there to, to, to grow those resources and get them to a size when the, the mines can be reopened again. Just a you know, fantastic opportunity for us. But tell me how you do this. I, I, I'm, I'm truly fascinated in this and, and in that you've got, I'm imagining not a lot of cash, certainly from the last conversation, you haven't raised any since, um, and I'm not aware that you've cashed in any equities. So you've got the ability on the ne- equities of maybe a couple of, well, two and a half million bucks or so. Um, you've got, how much money have you got? What, what was the cash position? Yeah, so it's just a whisker under a million uh, Canadian, right. uh, Matthew. So it's not a so it's not a huge treasury at the moment. But as you say, we do have those. Right. Uh, so how, how how do you how do you well how do you cash in the equities if indeed you want to, or how do you go and raise money to do something with these Scandinavian assets? Okay, I'm intrigued by because I always say to, I always say to people the investors watching this show is like make sure the management team has the relevant 
experience to do this, right? right? Not talk the game. They've done it before because it's going to mitigate risk and you know minimize the chance of them losing your money. So with a whisker under a million bucks, the ability to go and get two and a half million bucks, it gives you three and a half million bucks potentially mm-hmm. to do something. And I'm interested in, in the something bit. But before we do, can you tell us how you sort out your balance sheet now? Yeah. So, so first of all, with those marketable securities, I guess uh, the, the first thing we would do is obviously look for the optimum time to sell. And obviously, there's a, there's an equilibrium there between when we need the cash and when we think the companies are fully valued, right? So that's the other thing too. I mean, like any any share investment, you want to sell at the right time, right? So, so I guess the first thing is that. Um, but of course, what we would do in a case like that is generally, because they're fairly largest blocks, I mean, we would obviously look to go to, you know, um, either try and sell the block to a particular investor, or you would just have to trickle them into the market. Of course, what you don't want to do is is put a big blob of uh, of shares just out onto the open market. Of course, so so we would work together with the partners and just say, look, we have this block of shares that we'd like to sell. Can you help us find a new home for them? Right. So so that's basically how we would do that. Process. Right. Okay. So that okay because otherwise you're selling into an ever decreasing market. Okay. So blocks are Great. potential work with the partner. Got it. Um, have you got any ambition to go and raise capital? Because that, you know, whatever you're at, 15 million market cap, I suspect you're going to say that's going to be quite expensive raise. Yeah. So, so, so I guess uh, the the other option we have to uh, uh, Matthew is that we do have quite a few warrants that are fairly close to being in the money. So, so a second option we have, of course. So, one is the marketable securities, which could put cash back in a treasury. Um, the other thing, of course, is as I mentioned, the uh, the warrants and 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 the warrants we currently have about if if, if all the warrants. Uh, you know, the, the, most of the warrants are about 12 cents. We're currently trading about 11. So they're just a whisker out of the money. But of course, you need to really push the share price well beyond the exercise price. But, um, but you know, that could bring 7 million Canadian into Treasury if they all got exercised. So that would be obviously a big boost to the, to the Treasury as well. Uh, you know, and then at the end of the day, you also have the, the option of maybe some of the, the non-core assets, potentially, if we decide tomorrow that we want to be 100% Scandinavia, you always have other options to look at as well, too. Now, of course, we could come back to the market, but um, you know we are also shareholders in the company. So the last thing we want to do is is, is dilute shareholders. I mean, we want to try and minimise that and make sure that we, um, you know, we we do what we can to minimise that sort of dilution. So, but you, you've always operated certainly, but as long as I've been talking to you, at you know th- those low levels, you you, you mm-hmm. seem unafraid of uh, you know the, the the money money situation. So. Look, when you sort it out, when you're at the point you need to sort it out, I, I would like to hear from you because the bit that I'm interested and intrigued by with your company is the relevant experience, having done this before. You know, we've talked in the past about Mariana, obviously, but the, uh, there's, there's a few other things. So it, may, it might be worth actually reminding listeners if they, if they can't remember or haven't heard the story before, what you've done there and where, what you're taking from that and applying here. Cause I'm, I want to understand if you can. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe I'll, t- I'll tackle this in two parts, uh, Matthew. So just in terms of, uh, you know, the share price going sideways, you know, what, of course, will be a big driver for us is drilling, whether it's on the joint venture properties or our own projects. So, so, so I think one thing to really flag is that we've, we've really pushed the projects forward a long way. Uh, the target generation work is, is, is virtually done on the Norwegian projects now. We wanted to be systematic about it. We now go into permitting and then look at uh, drilling. And, and of course, as you know, and, and your listeners will know, what, what really moves the dial for companies is, is drilling. And, and, and we are at the point of having probably four projects ready to drill here over the winter, over the northern winter coming up here. So, um, so, so that, of course, I think is a very important uh, yardstick in terms of uh, share price movement. So that's why we've been a little bit sideways the last few months, because it's more this 
let's do the systematic work. Let's get our ducks in a row and, and then get ready to drill. And, and, and that's going to come up very, very soon. So what, what do you mean by this, the systematic work? What, what, what precisely have you been doing in terms of setting this up, getting ready to drill? Yeah, so, so if, I, if I use the, uh, the Sholey Copper Project in Norway as just an example, I mean, for example, we have, there we have a 20 kilometer long belt where we know we've got high grade copper on surface. Now, you know, there, there were obvious sort of walk up drill targets in that. You could say, okay, there's an outcrop. That's, you know, let's not over science this. Let's just get out there and drill it, right? And so, so, you know, there are those targets there, but you also want to make sure you've done a systematic job so that you can say, okay, we've got this 20 kilometer long belt. Here are our top six or top 10 targets and let's go through them all. So that basically, you know, we once you get drilling and you've made the discovery, you want to get to resources as quickly as possible, right? To because that's the that's the inherent value for a company. So um, so so my my philosophy is always let's make sure we've done it systematically, we've got all the targets ready to go, and then bang, you just go through all the priority targets and and, and just you know, as I say, for us, the next milestone is to declare a resource, and that's the best path, I think, to do that. And 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 we have done that in the past which is what I'll allude to in a moment. So, um, so you know, if you look at our past uh, projects, uh, Matthew, or, or past companies, so we had Mariana Resources, which of course had the hot Martin discovery in Turkey. So that was a very high grade copper gold asset or gold copper asset in Northeastern Turkey. So, you know, we basically uh, made the discovery there. This was a brand new discovery. We took it to a resource. Uh, in 2017, we sold the company to Sandstorm Gold. Of course, they wanted the company just for that asset. Um, at the time, it was actually quite a cheap deal. It, you know, it was about 180 million US. I'm sure in the current market conditions, that would be worth you know, many multiples of that. But of course, okay, that was the, the market at the time. So, um, so we sold the company to, to Sandstorm. That project now is basically going through feasibility and the mine build will come very, very soon. Um, before then, uh, I was with a company called uh, Extori Gold Mines. We had the Cerro Moro discovery in Argentina. That was acquired by Yamana Gold in 2012. It's a mine that's now in production. And, uh, you know, that was a sale that went through for 440 million Canadian. And, um, you know, as I say, and, and Yamana's done very, very well. It's one of their lowest cash cost operations because the grade is so high. And, and one thing I will, the, the common denominator in all of these things, Matthew, is high grade. I think that really is the key to... You know, when you're a small company, what you want to be looking for are these high-grade assets because they're the things that make sense for us. Um, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, we've been there, we've done this before, and that's the model that works for us. Select quality high-grade assets, whether they're gold or copper or both, and push them along that path to discovery, resources, those early mining studies. And that's usually the point when somebody says, you know what, that's such a great asset, we want to come in and take a piece of this. So, so that's kind of the business model that we've employed um, over and over. Okay, so, so the, the, the business model is one that you've, well, I guess it's a kind of cookie cutter approach you want to employ on, on the business model. In terms of the technical aspects, what you're seeing under the ground, but again, what's the relevant experience there? Because again, people come in and they, they talk about you know, one type of, uh, you know, exploration and development, and this is something completely different. So again, what are you, what are you saying that's uh, com comparable to what you've done before? Yeah, so so in, in the case of the massive sulfides, uh, so I mean, I guess even before uh, the last decade, I mean, before then I was with a company called Anglo Gold. We had four uh, major uh, greenfields discoveries around the world. In fact, uh, you know, people who 
uh, have been following the story. Uh, we had four discoveries that brought in over 20 million ounces uh, as greenfields. It was probably the best years that Anglo Gold Ashanti ever had in greenfields exploration. So, um, so that was something we achieved. Um, and for people who remember way back, I mean, for us, you know, people who are old, as old as me or older, uh, uh, would probably remember that uh, there was a, ca a Canadian company called Ore Resources, AUR, uh, which was based out of Toronto. And uh, in the 90s, they had a discovery in, in Quebec called Louvicor, which was a massive sulfide deposit. So it's exactly the same kind of deposit that we're looking at here. Um, a very high grade. It was running about 4% copper equivalent. So, so these are the kind of grades that we're talking about on these Norwegian assets. Um, it wasn't a big discovery. It was about 12 million tons. Um, but that's all you need at these kind of grades to, 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 to basically have a company maker. Uh, you know, they're fantastic discoveries. Um, and they're basically company makers. And, and the other comparable I would make with Norway is the infrastructure is fantastic, just as it is in Canada. And that's a huge difference as well. That makes a really big difference to these projects in terms of um, you've got everything there from the, the expiration package. You can then develop it. You've got places to process it. You've got refineries. You've got, you know, you've got the entire package, just fantastic infrastructure. And that makes a huge difference to, to mining projects as well. So right, there's there, there's the play in terms of the, the the business model. Technically, it's 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 all relevant. Timing, which is something you can't control, um, is the other secret sauce here. Sure. Which is gold markets obviously come off in the last twelve months, and not a great degree, but it's you know enough enough to make people um, con concerned that it hasn't it hasn't shot up to its. $3,000 an ounce level. So it was all sorts of wild commentary going on there. But are you talking, given it, you're, you, you know, you're looking at gold, copper, copper, gold, uh, targets here. Um, are you at all concerned, um, about what's, what you're seeing in the gold market at the moment? Cause I guess, I guess you're going to tell me, cause of course I'm going to ask you in a second about what, how do you play the copper market? So let's adjust the gold market first. Are you concerned about that? Uh, look, I, I think to be honest, uh, Matthew. I mean, I think people should be happy with a, an 1800 plus or minus gold price. I mean, that's that's my personal view. Um, I mean, look, it's always nice if it's better, but uh, to be honest, I, I think if people can't make money at these levels, then we've got bigger problems to deal with. <laughs> to be honest, um, but you know, to, to me, I'm not particularly worried about the gold price. I, I think uh, you know, and just given the state of the economy, I, I think at the very least it should hold these kind of levels, and at these levels, we should as explorers and miners be happy. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't personally have a problem with the gold price where it is. Um, that then sort of leads me on to the copper price. And I, and I think there's a lot of upside still left in copper. Um, you know, even though it's had a good run over these last 12 months, uh, I mean, I think if you look at all of the, and particularly Europe, if I look at Europe specifically, I mean, they, they have very strict targets in terms of green energy and everybody wants electric cars and, and, and you've got still, you've still got to have, um, you know, green energy, I mean, the, the efficient uh, power transmission and, and generation. And it's like, it's one of these things, um, you're going to have copper, um, the market it will be there for a while. And, I, and I, I'm very positive on the copper price. I, I think we will see a lot of uh, still upside in that. I, I certainly don't see it falling below $4, I mean, a, you know, a pound. And I think at those kind of levels, these high grade assets basically can do very, very well. They make a lot of money, you know. So, um, you know, so, so I think I'm, I'm very upbeat on the, on the copper price. And I think the gold price, uh, look, to be honest, I'm happy where it is. I think it's, a, it's, we should be happy where it is. No, I totally agree with you on, on quite frankly, at 1700. It, it's fantastic too. So, um, but with regards to the copper, you're, you're in this kind of European ecosystem, right? We have lots of companies come on and talk about copper globally. And, you know, they like to tell the story of high grade, but there's not a lot of contained metal. So it's, it's a bit hard to get excited. Um, 
despite the EV thematic. So I understand that you, you know, you'll want to talk the EV thematic here. How do you go about showing that you've got scale, that you've got a lot of metal in the ground? That, that, that's, that, that's what this really comes down to, because mm-hmm. if this becomes not just a Scandinavian story, but a, a real copper story in that ecosystem, it's really, really interesting. But you've got a, you've got, you've explained a kind of process to get there, but can you just hone in on the things that are really important for you to be able to show the scale relatively quickly? Because at 15 million market cap, moving sideways, you need to quickly show people that this could be something significant, meaningful in a, in a, what is known, right. known for a, a, a good mining jurisdiction. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think just to just to sort of my, my views on that, uh, Matthew, I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. One is that uh, to, to me on each of the two copper projects, so so Lockin and Sholey, uh, at those kind of grades, you know, 10 plus million tonnes apiece uh, w- w- would be enough to reopen a mine. And, and, and to me, you know, and, and when you think about it, that's not a big volume. I mean, that's not a, you, you don't need a lot of mineralized rock to get you know to to, to at those grades right i mean so um so so the attractiveness for me as, as projects is that these are projects that are very straightforward to develop because they're so compact they're so high grade that the development footprint is very small and of course that that means two things one is that the the permitting is much easier um and, and another thing too is that because the the processing of these things is very very straightforward i mean this is just off the shelf for uh, just flotation circuits very very simple metallurgy um so you know basically uh, these are things that you can push forward very very quickly and uh, and, and as i mentioned earlier too then that concentrate you produce can go to one of the local uh, smelters or refineries that you've got floating around in, in Scandinavia, both in Norway and Sweden. So you, you've basically got everything here at your doorstep. Uh, and just to make that other comment, uh, just to make the uh, comparison on size, so so 10 plus million tonnes at Lochen, for example, that's less than half of what we know was mined in the old Lochen mine. So, so, so it's not a big leap of faith to think there's got to be other things around there. And, and maybe that 10 million tonnes comes in one deposit, maybe it comes in, in a couple of deposits. But you have to look at that district and you say there has to be something at least that size or half that size elsewhere in the district, you know. So, um, so you know, to me, I think they're very realistic goals. I, I don't think, you know, I'd, I'd be really shocked if each of these projects didn't come up with 10 plus million tonnes at, you know, 2% copper kind of thing. So, um, and the other thing to keep in mind too is that these high copper grades come with very high zinc grades and there's also gold and silver as byproducts. So, so it's not just copper, you get a few other things thrown into the mix as well. Right, so, so coming back to the... the, the I guess the nub of the or the rub of it here, which is, what's the one thing that you need to show the market to get that share price to move? Yeah, well, first of all, we've got to be drilling. That's going to be the mover. And once you're actually drilling, you can actually prove the concept. You can say, okay, look, here we've got some extensive intervals of high-grade mineralization, particularly high-grade copper mineralization, which is what the European market really, really wants. Um, and then suddenly you, you start joining the dots and say, okay, look, we actually have another discovery here. And uh, um, so, so really what's going to drive the share price is, is once you get those drill holes into the high-grade mineralization, you've proven the concept. Uh, and then, of course, it's a step-by-step process to, to bring it into resource status. And that really is what's going to drive the share price right. going forward. So you've got four projects ready to mm-hmm. drill. You've got to sort your money out. And then to be able to get drilling, what's the timing? Yeah, so so basically with the uh, so if I start in Norway, for example, um, so the two copper projects there. So so surely we're basically we've just about 
probably next week we'll have completed all of the target generation that work that we will do. We then go into permitting and permitting is probably about a two month process. So, so we do expect that that should be completed, let's say by the end of November. Um, so, you know, and, and of course, another thing to keep in mind too, is that winter is actually the best time to be drilling in Scandinavia, um, just as it would be in Canada, because uh, with the snow and the, that's when the ground is nice and hard. Um, so it's, uh, it's actually the best time to be drilling. So, so, so Sholey will be going into permitting short term, Lochen will follow shortly afterwards. Um, and the other two projects that are fairly close uh, to going into permitting are the two Canadian projects where, um, of course, those are in the hands of joint venture partners. But again, we should be looking at drilling those over this 2021-2022 this winter as well, this northern winter. Um, and then in parallel, we'll continue to push the, the Swedish project forward and the two new uh, Finnish projects. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing permitting required on average a couple of months so are you, are you drilling this side of Christmas or not? Yeah, look, so in a perfect world, we should be able to drill just before Christmas at Sholey. Um, so if, if, it, if it's two months, so let's, so let's say we go into the system early October, that would take us to early December. Um, now, that would be the plan. Hopefully everything goes well. We might need to shut down for Christmas, but at least we could start before Christmas. Um, but that would be the uh, probably the ideal scenario right now in the case of Sholey. Lockin, as I mentioned, will follow shortly afterwards, and the two Canadian projects will also follow. Uh, but I'm not sure if they'll be before Christmas or after Christmas. So, so I guess we'll see how the Canadian permitting side of things go. But those would be the four projects that I would expect to be drilling here over this northern winter. Okay, Eric. Um, thank you for the update. I'd love you to come back and tell me you've started drilling. That's the news. Because I think I agree with you. I think that's the moment when you can actually start delivering the sorts of headlines that will get people interested in this project again. Correct, yeah. And I'd love to be back with some uh, good drill core intercepts, uh, Matthew. So I look forward to it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.